Uh, this uh, message will be viewed at our Ventura campus. We are one church in three locations. Ventura campus getting this message. Let's let them know how much we love them. And let's open in our Bibles to Ephesians chapter 6. We have been in the book of Ephesians for a couple of years. I think two and a half, to be honest. Two and a half years. And uh, we're getting near the end here. And we are in the midst of a series from chapter 6 here on spiritual warfare and the armor of God. Spiritual warfare and the armor of God. And today is the third installment in this series. Now listen, we we have some resources that we're making available to you. The, The goal of the church, the leadership of the church, is to equip the saints, you guys, to do the work of the ministry, to equip you, to help you be faithful and fruitful as Christians. So there's lots of ways in which we've been endeavoring to do that this year. You remember we provided that sheet uh, on having a spiritual plan. We did a sermon on having a spiritual plan for 2014. Gave you a sheet so that we all together would have a plan for reading scripture, a plan for being on mission, and a plan for faithful and fruitful relationships as one resource. Now we've got some resources that we're providing you for the spiritual warfare series. We want every single Christian to know how to stand firm in the face of the schemes of the enemy. That's why we're doing this series. And then we've also, this is a first resource, we have also put a bunch of my old teachings online for you guys having to do with spiritual warfare, Satan, and demons. A lot of stuff that we won't have the time or just the scope to be able to get into during this series, you can find. So if you go to our website... Uh, you'll find a banner for that. Click on that. And I think there's about 10 old sermons. And it might be fun because some of them are from a decade ago. So that'll be fun for some of you that have been around for a while. The other way that we're wanting to equip you is by answering your questions. Spiritual warfare can be daunting and confusing and intimidating and strange and all these things. So we're intending on fielding your questions. So you can send your questions to the battle at realitycarp.com over here at the Ventura campus, campus, excuse me, the battle, realityventura.com. We'll get your questions. We read through them. Some of them we respond to directly, if that seems to be the right thing to do. Others we will answer in the sermon. We're not going to say, oh, Susie Jacobson wrote in and said, I think I have 10 demons. What do I do? We're not going to reveal who you are or your question. We'll just kind of weave it into the sermon series. We're trying to be helpful and equip you uh, to stand firm against the schemes of the enemy. enemy. And now we have a new resource today. We have a book available for you today at the resource table. I've got about 40 books in my library on spiritual warfare. And this would be my top recommendation for us. Three crucial questions on spiritual warfare. It answers the questions, what is spiritual warfare? The big question, what can demons do to a Christian? Can a Christian be possessed? Big, big questions, gnarly stuff. And then what about territorial spirits? So this is a really helpful, easy, easy to read, down to earth, but thorough book on spiritual warfare. So if you're at all interested in this, and if you're a Christian, you ought to be. This is a great book. We have some available for you today. Um, So please get a hold of that. It'll be helpful for you in understanding spiritual warfare and provide you with a lot of stuff that we simply can't do in the scope of this sermon series. So take advantage of those resources, church. Be equipped for the battle. 
Now we're going to read our text that we're looking at during this series. As I said, today is part three, and we'll be looking at the first part of verse 14. But we're going to read the whole passage. So Ephesians 6, starting verse 10, we'll read through verse 18. We'll pray, and we'll get into the teaching. Paul the Apostle writes and says, Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the full armor of God that you may be able to stand firm against the schemes of the devil. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against rulers, against powers, against world forces of darkness, against the spiritual forces of wickedness in heavenly places. Therefore, take up the full armor of God, that you may be able to resist in the evil day. And having done everything to stand firm. Stand firm, therefore, having girded your loins with truth and having put on the breastplate of righteousness and having shod your feet with the preparation of the gospel of peace. And in addition to all, taking up the shield of faith with which you will be able to extinguish all the flaming missiles of the evil one and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. And with all prayer and petition, pray at all times in the Spirit. And with this in view, be on the alert, with all perseverance and petition for all the saints. Lord, thank you for your glorious Word. Thank you for these profound promises that you will enable us by your spirit and your grace and the provision of your armor to stand firm against the schemes of the enemy. And Lord, if we were to be honest, we would confess that there's all sorts of stuff the enemy is endeavoring to do in our lives. But we want to endeavor to stand firm and to resist him. And so we're asking that you would make us strong in Christ who you are in your work for us. That we wouldn't be ignorant of the enemy's schemes. That we would be sober and alert. Help us in these things, Lord. Bring clarity. The enemy is always wanting us confused. Bring clarity. Bring peace where there's a lack thereof. Bring strength where we're weak. Cover us where we feel uncovered. Christ, you are our Savior. You're our King. You're the one in whom we hope. You're the one who wars on our behalf. So keep us from the evil one. For thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Well, brothers and sisters, as we said, today is part three in this series, and we're talking about the belt of truth. If you haven't heard the last couple weeks' sermons, you want to get those because they're foundational, and all these things sort of build on an understanding of those. You can get those on our website. But last week, we looked at verse 13, And we specifically studied, just in general, the armor. We answered these three questions. What is the armor of God? How do we put on the armor of God, as the text is exhorting us to do? And how do we stand firm? What does the armor of God enable us to do? We answered those questions. What is the armor of God? How do we put it on? What does it enable us to do? And there's three important things that emerge from that study that we must keep in mind as we think about spiritual warfare and the armor of God. Three important things we'll put on the screen. The first is this, from last week again. 
each piece of the armor is meant to be understood as metaphor, not as magic. You remember that from last week? Each piece of the armor is meant to be understood as metaphor, not as magic. That is to say, the pieces of the armor, we'll take, for example, the the belt of truth or the helmet of salvation, are not these magical things that we pray, oh Lord, put the helmet of salvation on me, and there's this invisible helmet, and the enemy's like, oh no, I can't do anything now. He prayed for the helmet. It's not a magic thing. It's symbolic language pointing to a deep, profound reality found in Christ, okay? The armor of God. It is the armor of God because in the book of Isaiah, God himself is pictured as he goes to war against his adversaries as donning this armor. The Messiah, when he comes from Isaiah 11, is pictured as belting on faithfulness and truth. It's God's armor because he himself wears it, so to speak, figurative language in the battle. It's God's armor because he provides it for his people. And it's God's armor because it was most fully fulfilled in him. So each piece is meant to be understood as metaphor, not as magic. Secondly, each piece of armor presents us with something to believe and something to obey. You remember that from last week? It's not merely saying a prayer. Prayer is clearly indispensable when it comes to spiritual warfare, as we'll talk about when we get to verse 18. But it's not merely an issue of saying, Lord, put the breastplate of righteousness on me. There's a deeper truth behind it. Each piece of armor presents to us something to be believed and something to be obeyed. Talked about that last week. We'll unpack it a little bit for the belt of truth today. And the third and final thing we must keep in mind about the spiritual armor is this. Each piece of armor is representative of Christ and his finished work on our behalf. If we're going to talk about the shoes of peace, we must understand that Christ himself is our peace. If we're going to talk about the breastplate of righteousness, we, talk, we remember that Christ himself is our righteousness. If we talk about the belt of truth, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. If we're talking about the helmet of salvation, Christ himself is our salvation and our savior. All of these things are metaphors, representative of, symbolic of Jesus who he is, and what he's done for us. These things cannot be divorced from the reality of Christ. The hope that we have in spiritual battle is Jesus on our behalf in his finished work. Amen? What was that? I'm just saying do it or don't do it. Otherwise, it's awkward. So, if... The pieces of armor have their full fulfillment in Christ. And we're talking about the belt of truth. We'll we'll remember this. Jesus said that he is the truth. And that knowing his truth would set us free. Knowing his truth would set us free. And one of the things that we are set free from by knowing the truth of Christ is the schemes of the enemy. You'll remember that Jesus said in John chapter 8 that Satan is the father of lies. This is real foundational about spiritual warfare. Satan is the father of lies. What he births, what he spawns is lies. And we battle the lies of Satan with the truth of Jesus Christ. Jesus even said that the Holy Spirit is the spirit of truth. The enemy is a father of lies and a primary tactic of his is to lie to the believer. Then we battle that 
with Christ who is the truth and the truth concerning him. That's why our text, the first part of verse 14, says, stand firm therefore. How do we do it? Having girded your loins with truth or having put on the belt of truth. We stand firm by belting on truth. Now, the first thing that a Roman soldier, who's sort of the picture for this, the first thing that the Roman soldier would have put on after his undergarment, his tunic, was the belt of truth. It was a very, not the belt of truth, a belt, excuse me. The very first thing that he would put on was a belt. And the belt sort of served to hold all the rest of the armor together. And from it, he could hang some of his best offensive weapons. There would be a dagger hanging from there, a sword hanging from there. And the belt would provide some extra coverage. It would cover the area of the abdomen between the breastplate of righteousness and the belt itself. There was some cover for the abdomen. And then there were these bronze sort of, sort of linkage hanging down that would cover the groin. Very important to have your groin covered. You see here, the camera will need to go to the wide angle here. You see here, full groin coverage. Incredibly important in any sort of hand-to-hand combat. The belt provided coverage, and it was the first thing that he would put on. But it was kind of like a belt that a carpenter wears or a weightlifter wears as well. You know how they they put that on and it's kind of wide in the back and it would strengthen your body, right? Strengthen your core. It served to strengthen the soldier as well. So as we're starting to think about the belt as a metaphor for truth that helps us in the battle against the enemy, we start to see that the truth covers us. Starting to get that? covers the exposed places, the vulnerable places of our lives are covered in the truth of God. We start to begin to see that the truth strengthens us in a profound way. And what the belt would do, anytime you hear the Bible talking about girding up your loins, as the text says here in New American Standard, what the belt would do is free them from those long undergarments that they would wear. They kind of tuck them up into here. And so it provided ease of movement Ease of movement for the soldier. When his loins were girded up, there was ease of movement and freedom to get around. We begin to see this idea that the truth of Jesus Christ gives freedom in our lives when dealing with self, others, and God. Remember this. Truth brings freedom. Lies bring bondage. Freedom of movement in our relationships with one another, with ourselves, and with God. And that's why the belt of truth here is the first piece of armor that's mentioned. It's very important that it's the first one. It's not sort of a haphazard slapping together the armor here. Paul put it first by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. That's important. The soldier would actually wear the belt at all times. It's where he started. And the truth is where we start whenever we're under attack from the enemy. Satan is the father of lies. His attacks are always going to involve lies. The truth is the first place that we start when we feel that we're in any sort of attack, when we're feeling defeated, downcast, discouraged, confused, depressed, indifferent. Remember what Jesus said in John 17. Praying to the Father's high priestly prayer the night before the cross, he says, About us, I do not ask you to take them out of the world, but to keep them 
from the evil one. They're not of the world, right? We've been saved out of the world. Our citizenship is in heaven. Even as I'm not of the world. So then he prays this. Sanctify them in truth. Your word is truth. We are sanctified, set apart for the purposes of God, the mission of God, and the life of God by truth. The moment Christ prayed, sanctify them in truth, the enemy redoubled his efforts in untruths. That's where he started in the garden, right, with Eve. Did God really say, oh, that's not what God meant. God just knows if you do that, things will be better for you. He started with lies. Lies all the way through. But the moment Christ revealed that we are sanctified in the truth of the word of God, the enemy does everything that he can to come against the truth of the word of God. So when we talk about appropriating or putting on the belt of truth, what we're talking about is number one, accepting the truth of the Bible. And number two, obeying the truth of the Bible. Remember, every piece of armor presents to us something to believe and something to obey, to appropriate, to be able to stand firm in the face of the enemy, to appropriate the belt of truth. We're talking about accepting the truth of Scripture and choosing to obey it with integrity. So here's the first part. The belt of truth is appropriated by believing the truth of God's word. So what does spiritual warfare often look like? It often looks like lies that are suggested to us by the enemy. The enemy has all sorts of ways to suggest lies to us. It might be through uh, consumption of media, which is just full of lies, right? It might be through our interactions with others. Sometimes people tell lies or untruths. It might be planted in our mind. I don't understand how that works metaphysically, but it seems to be really clear, and we see it in the New Testament, that the enemy can plant thoughts in one's mind. And there comes along in our lives these lies. And the job of the discerning Christian is to identify these lies and deal with them, reject them, overcome them, stand firm against them, resist them with corresponding truth. That's what the spiritual battle looks like as it pertains to the belt of truth. Okay, so I'm going to give you some examples of common lies that we hear. You'll think of more, and then we'll talk about corresponding truths. So a common lie that we often hear is this. We'll put the first one up. God will never forgive me this time. Anybody ever fallen into that one? Anybody ever hear that and believe it? Has anybody ever been in the situation where you can't believe that you sinned that way again and to that degree. Yes, thank you, Fawn Ray. Me and Fawn Ray and this sister, only three of us. You guys are all liars. Just kidding. At least for me and Fawn Ray and this one other young lady back here. We sometimes are so shocked by our own falling into sin for the hundredth time that we hear suggested to us, God's not going to forgive you this time. Look at the way you're cheapening grace. Look at the way you're doing that. And and so when, when we hear lies like this, the job of the Christian is to know a corresponding combating truth from Scripture that defeats that lie. So what would be a good one for this? Perhaps 1 John 1, 9. 
If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us of all unrighteousness. Listen how important that is. There are those moments where we sin greatly and we go, I don't know if God could ever forgive me. But there should come to your mind immediately because you should memorize verses like this. Wait a minute. The word of God, which is true and without error, says if I confess my sins, God is faithful and just to forgive me and cleanse me of all unrighteousness. And then I find as it begins to play out, it's so important to continue to stand in that because I'll do that. I'll confess it. And then I'll find myself like 10 minutes later just beating up on myself. Anybody ever do this? Just, oh gosh, I can't. I'm so sorry, God. Begging now forgiveness from God. In light of the finished work of Jesus Christ on the cross, we do not have to beg God to forgive us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us. Anybody need cleansing? Cleanse us from all unrighteousness. All unrighteousness. So that five minutes later, we don't have to beat ourselves up anymore and say, I feel so dirty. I feel so contaminated. I feel so ashamed and guilty. It's exactly what the enemy wants us to be feeling. He wants to keep us in that place. That is the battle. So we stand firm and resist and we put on the belt of truth by saying, no, because of what Christ did for me on the cross, I truly have forgiveness and cleansing from all unrighteousness so that by the blood of Jesus, even though that was a horrible failure, I now stand before him clean, washed, sanctified. Yeah, praise God for that. Now, here's another lie. See, Satan will always kind of seesaw the lies back and forth. So one moment he's telling you how bad you are. The next moment he's telling you how good you are. Here's a lie. I'm not that bad compared to other people. That's a lie from Satan. What, what, what is a, you know, our culture is built on this. Our culture is built on comparison. That's why so many of us have body image issues, right? That's why so many of us go through our lives feeling like failures are through social media, through all sorts of things. Our whole culture conditions us to compare ourselves to everybody else and what they're doing. And there's this huge cultural lie because everybody on, what's it called? Instagram and Twitter posts all their best moments all the time. And you wake up in the morning, you turn on your phone, and you look at your feed of 500 people's best moments when they're looking their very best, doing the best things, getting the greatest things. And before you get out of bed, you're like, well, my life stinks. (laughs) Or you only follow losers on Instagram. (laughs) And then before you get out of bed, you say, well, I'm better than all of them. Our whole culture is built on comparison. And so when we start to feel a little bit guilty before God, what we will do, what we will inevitably do is find someone who's doing worse than we are to make ourselves feel better. I do that all the time. I surfed Rincon all week this week. I probably surfed 30 hours this week. You guys were paying me. Thank you. So kind of you. So kind of you. What I inevitably do when I'm surfing Rincon is I I keep my eye out for the worst guys in the water because then I look good in my mind. 
I feel good about myself. I don't watch Ian surf. I don't watch Aaron surf. I don't watch Sean surf. They're all better than me. I'm looking for the kooks so that when I paddle out, I'm like, yeah, I'm ripping. Right? We look for someone who's doing worse to make ourselves feel better. Satan wants us in this place spiritually. It's a lie. Here's a corresponding truth. Romans 3.10 and verse 23. There is none righteous, not even one. All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. There's no one before God who could say, well, compared to them, I'm doing better. It's not a sliding scale of humanity. It's the righteous standard of a holy God. You understand that? So the moment Satan wants to build you up in your performance, your religious performance, your performance of life, Scripture, by God's grace, brings us back down and say, no, we are guilty before God. And so then Satan will come in. Here's another lie. God is mad at me. Anybody ever think that? Some of you showed up at church today. Yes, thank you for your honesty, sweetheart. Some of us showed up at church today thinking this, and we're hoping that by going to church, somehow God will feel better about us by the end of the day. God is mad at me. And so what this does is it brings us feelings of shame, condemnation, despair, hopelessness. We feel like a cosmic, utter, all-time disappointment to our Heavenly Father. We need a corresponding combative truth. May I suggest to you Romans chapter 5, verses 1 and 2. Having been justified by faith, that is our faith in Jesus Christ, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom also we have obtained our introduction, we've been brought into the presence of God by faith, into this grace in which we stand. Listen to what the word of God says for those who have put their faith in Jesus Christ. We now have peace with God and are standing before him is in grace. You must know that on the cross, Jesus Christ took the full wrath of God in our place. There is no wrath of God for you. Jesus took it for us. He said, it is finished. He didn't say, well, it's almost done, but when Brit does that one thing, the father is going to be really mad at him. He said, it is finished. The full wrath of God was poured out on Christ who took it in our place so that now as we stand before God, even with our frailties and our failures, we have peace with God and a standing of grace unmerited, undeserved favor. God saved you even knowing how you would fail afterward. He knit you in your mother's womb knowing the ways that you would cheese out. And he loves us still. And through Christ, we have peace with God. Peace doesn't denote, I'm mad at you. Peace with God. And our standing is in grace. Doesn't mean he won't discipline his children. He will. Whom the Lord loves, he disciplines. But God is not mad at you today. He's not surprised by your sin. Christ has made peace between you and God and he views you according to grace. Can I get an amen? Amen. Here's another lie. We kind of already hit it, but we'll just say it again. This one right here. I've been pretty good and have surely earned something before God. Right? This is so ingrained in us as people from a young age. This is how we train our kids, right? Be a good boy and I'll buy you a bike. Be a little good girl and I'll get you a little dolly. And then when we get older, perform well at your job and you'll get a bonus, right? 
honey, I'll bring you some flowers of this and so. This is just a deep part of who we are, but that's not how it works before God. And yet we find ourselves doing spiritual things, thinking that if we do it, we somehow make God a debtor to us and God will be a debtor to no man. And so the corresponding truth is Isaiah 64, 6. We are all infected and impure with sin. (laughs) How's that for good news? When we display our righteous deeds, they're nothing but filthy rags. In other words, once again, it's not a sliding scale of humanity. It is the ultimate scale of a holy and righteous God. Now, he has prepared good deeds beforehand that we should walk in them. And it's important that we do right things and good things that God has called us to do. But they don't earn us merit before God. They don't indebt God to us. They don't make God love us anymore. How can he love us anymore if he loves us with a perfect, unending, never failing love in his son, Jesus Christ? It's a perfect love and you have all of it through Jesus Christ. There's nothing that we do and performance to make them love us more. But the enemy will get us tied into performance. If you go to another prayer meeting, if you give more money, if you read your Bible more often, if you do a good deed, that is not Christianity. That is religion. That is not right. Here's another lie. You will never amount to anything. That lie can come through all sorts of different places. Sometimes it comes through our parents. Sometimes it comes through other elders. Sometimes it comes through school administrators. But the root of that is always Satan. Ephesians 2.10, you are God's masterpiece, created in Christ Jesus, which for good works, which he prepared beforehand that you should walk in them. Listen, it's true. We fail in lots of ways. Not many of us will live up to our dreams. That doesn't change the fact that you are God's workmanship, his masterpiece that he made for good works that he prepared for you. So the next time the enemy tells you, that's it, you've blown it. Your life is going to amount to nothing. Wait, that's not what scripture says. Scripture says I'm God's special creation and he's got things for me to do for his glory. That's the truth. Here's another lie. How about this one? I get this one all the time. You're right to be angry and you should continue to be angry. (laughs) Anybody ever get that one? Okay, just me and Jeff Jensen. Thank you, Jeff. Glad there's a few people with me in here today. Look what Ephesians and James say. Be angry and yet do not sin. Have you ever noticed how hard that is? Be angry and yet do not sin. If you can be angry without sinning, if you can have righteous anger, go ahead. Be angry. But be angry and do not sin. And then, even if you're there, do not let the sun go down on your anger. In other words, don't stay angry. Why? Because it gives the devil an opportunity. Staying in a place of anger or bitterness is like opening your heart up to Satan and saying, come in. It gives the devil an opportunity, a foothold, a stronghold in our lives when we stay in anger. So the enemy is always going to make you feel justified in your anger. Hey, what she did, inexcusable, unforgivable, totally unjust. You should be angry. It's right to be angry about it. It was unfair. And Satan will always be feeding you just enough about the person or the situation to keep you in that place of anger. Man, that is a trap of the enemy. If you stay angry, you're playing into the hands of the enemy. And so the truth sets you free. 
The truth sets you free. Don't let the sun go down on your anger. The promise from James is this. The anger of man does not achieve the righteousness of God. Anger of man does not achieve the righteousness of God. Therefore, the scriptures say, leave room for the wrath of God. Let God deal with that situation. We can be free because of the love of God in Christ. How about this lie? This is one that I've heard most in the last year. Nobody understands your pain. I mean, my daughter died of cancer this year. So I'm always hearing this one. Nobody understands your pain. They don't know what you've been through. When I believe that lie, I can justify almost any behavior on my part because then comes a sense of entitlement. Nobody understands me. So I can remove myself from community. Nobody gets what I'm going through so I can develop some callousness toward them. Nobody knows my pain, so I could go to ungodly places that numb that pain. We need a corresponding combative truth for that lie of the enemy. It's so explicit in 1 Peter 5, 9. Remember that your Christian brothers and sisters all over the world are going through the same kind of suffering you are. I'm not the first one to lose a kid. You're not the first one that was molested. You're not the first one whose spouse cheated on. You're not the first one to have your finances wiped out. You're not the first one to be diagnosed by that. All this suffering, all these trials and temptations, 1 Corinthians 10, 13, are common to man, but God is faithful. God is faithful. And because it's common to us, we come to a common Savior in Christ who helps us and gives us strength to endure. The last lie that we'll mention, we could go into many more, but is this one. God has abandoned me. Man, I felt like that a few times the last couple of years. God has abandoned me. Because, you know, when you're in the deepest place of pain, when you're sitting in the hospital in the middle of the night with your daughter and she's dying and there's nothing any doctor could do or anybody on earth could do and the whole world is praying and all you do is pray and nothing is changing, it's really easy when you hear God has abandoned me to begin to think, yeah, all the circumstances seem to point to that. Our faith is not according to circumstance. Our faith is according to the eternal word of God. The flower will wither and fade, but the word of God stands forever. So it gives us a wonderful counter and combative truth when it says in Hebrews 13, 5, he himself has said, I will never desert you, nor will I ever forsake you. I will never leave you. I will never forsake you. There's going to be so many times in life, let's be honest, when it feels that way. And the enemy is such a dirty dog, he's right there to cultivate those feelings and those thoughts. You must have a corresponding combative truth to stand on or we get stuck in anger, bitterness, shame, condemnation. We get stuck in these things and wrath and malice and and they, they open us up more to the schemes of the enemy and we get in a very, very difficult situation. So you can think of your own lives, but the other place where Satan will lie all the time is in the area of doctrine. Right? He's always wanting to malign the truth of the word of God and the truth of who Christ is and what he's done. That's why Paul wrote to Timothy and said this, hold on to the pattern of wholesome teaching you've learned from me, a pattern shaped by faith and love that you have in Christ Jesus. And through the power of the Holy Spirit who lives within us, look at this, carefully guard the precious truth that has been entrusted to you. 
These countering combative truths of the word of God are to be carefully guarded in us. True things about our salvation, about God, about ourselves, about the world, about sin and righteousness and judgment are to be guarded by the Christian. We have been given the truth. We're to carefully guard this truth. Why? It helps us to stand firm against the schemes of the enemy. So what I would encourage us to do is begin to think and ask what lies we're susceptible to believing. What lies are you susceptible to believing? I gave you those ones that came to me because that's kind of a lot of my struggles. But what about you? What lies are you susceptible to believing? The first thing that we do is discover them. Discover them. You've got to figure out what they are. Discover. For that, we've got to be in the word of God. How many times from the pulpit do I say, we have to read the Bible, the belt of truth, the word of God. If we're going to begin to discover the lies that we're believing, that the enemy has suggested to us, we must have the word of Christ dwelling richly in our mind or, or we'll be duped. We'll never discover them. We'll just keep on believing them because there's never the light to show the error. We must not only be in the word of God, but we have to be in community. You know how it works out usually for me? Usually when I'm falling prey to some lie, it's some other brother or sister who says, you know, that's not true. They're able to help me see the lie that I'm buying into. Just yesterday, I was sitting on the beach with a friend of mine and I was just buying into this lie and I just started dialogue with him. He's like, no, that's not true. That's not truth. And it saved me. I knew that if I had gone on thinking about that lie, I would have been up the whole night tormented by that thing. We must be in community with other Christians if we're going to stand firm in this area. So the first thing that we do with lies that we're susceptible to believing is discover them. Ask the Holy Spirit to help you. Jesus promised, when the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all truth. So here's what warfare looks like. You go home today, this week, in your quiet time with the Lord, as you're journaling and praying, reading the word, you say, Holy Spirit, show me lies I'm believing. Show me places of entitlement. Show me places of sneaky impurity. Show me places of deception. Show me places of malice. Show me lies that I'm believing about the three areas of God where Satan, excuse me, always attacks us, about God, self, and others. Holy Spirit, help me. Show me. And then, secondly, what we do is we identify them as lies. Okay? So when, when, we, when we discover that, we say, we say, that's a lie. That isn't true. And we reject them outright. I don't believe that lie. I identify that as a lie. I reject it. I don't partner with that. That is untrue. And then we repent of believing lies. We repent of believing lies. God, I'm so sorry that I thought that about your people. I'm so sorry that I thought that about your grace that you could never forgive me. I'm so sorry I thought that about myself that I had earned some righteousness. We repent of believing lies. And then third... We stand firm in and on the countering truth from God's word. We saturate our hearts and minds with the truth that combat that lie. Jesus said this, if you continue in my word, then you are truly disciples of mine and you will know the truth and the truth will make you free. The truth will make you free. Now what I find about lies that get a foothold in my life is that at this point of standing firm, I usually need help from other Christians. And the way that they help me is to speak truth over me. Britt, that's not true. 
Here's the truth of what God's word said. You, you are the beloved of God. You're cleansed and washed and made righteous by his blood. He hasn't left you. God is faithful. I need people to speak truth over me and then to pray truth over me. All the time to lay hands on me and pray truth over me. You know what the truth does? The truth is like disconnecting the power on the lies of the enemy. When we speak the truth, it cuts off the power of the lies of the enemy. It's like throwing the switch. It's like pulling the plug. You know that these lies can be so powerful, but when we speak truth over one another and pray truth over one another and we stand firm in truth, it pulls the plug of the enemy's power and those lies are dispelled. And lo and behold, we stand firm. But I find that I almost always need help for that. And when we do that, we find that this belt of truth is not only defensive, we're not just standing there trying to take it, it's offensive. Truth is always offensive against the enemy. When we preach the truth of the gospel, it gets the enemy on his heels. When we preach the truth of what Christ has done, the enemy is the one who's on the run. Truth is an offensive weapon against the enemy. But it's not only that we appropriate the belt of truth by believing God's word, We appropriate it by obeying God's word. Brothers and sisters, let's be honest. So so much of our trouble with the enemy comes because we refuse to obey God. Right? So much of our problems have to come with the fact that we're walking in disobedience. So the belt of truth doesn't only refer to the truth of the gospel and the truth of scripture, but the believer's own integrity and honesty. The belt of truth presents to us something to be believed and something to be obeyed. To put on the belt of truth is not to just believe God's word, but to endeavor to, by the power of the Holy Spirit, obey God's word. To do one without the other is not to put on the belt. Paul is saying that the church's basic equipment in the spiritual battle is honesty and integrity in the life of the believer. Who here ever lies? Anyone not raising their hand is lying. (laughs) Even little tiny lies. When I lie, which is very rare, I usually find that my lying has to do with my pride. I'm usually lying because I don't want to look bad or I want to look better or I don't want to admit that or I don't want to be seen that way. Usually my lying has to do with my pride. Pride was the falling sin of Lucifer. It is through pride that he became the father of lies. Brothers and sisters, when we practice lies and deception. We are partnering with the enemy. We are connecting ourselves to the very core of who he is as a father of lies who fell because of pride. And so when we're practicing deception in our business dealings, if deception is is a common part of that, with our spouse, with our kids, in our relationships, in our sports, to ourselves, 
Whatever it is, when we are practicing lies and deception, we are partnering with the enemy and that gives the enemy a foothold. Look what Ephesians 5, 8 says. You were formerly in darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of the light for the fruit of light consists in all goodness and righteousness and truth. Truth at all costs. To practice deception is to partner with the enemy. To practice the truth is to partner with God. Remember what James 4, 7 said. If you resist the devil, he'll flee from you. How do we resist him? First and foremost, tell the truth. Telling, sometimes you got to tell the truth in love, right? Don't be a jerk. But we resist the devil. When we walk in integrity and honesty and we tell the truth. If you resist the devil, he'll flee from you, the promise of scripture. The flip side of that coin is, if you entertain the devil, he'll cling to you. So we're inviting the schemes of the enemy when we practice dishonesty, when we lack integrity, when we refuse to tell the truth. Look at what Titus 1 and 2 says on the screen. I have been sent to proclaim faith to those God has chosen and to teach them to know the truth that shows them how to live godly lives. Listen to this promise. This truth gives them confidence that they have eternal life, which God, who does not lie, promised to them before the world began. The truth shows us how to live godly lives. Living in a way that glorifies God brings confidence against the schemes of the enemy. You see here that an integral part of spiritual battle is the willingness to repent. To repent is to be honest. It's to say, God, I was wrong about that and you're right about that and I know that, so I'm gonna repent. I'm gonna change my mind about that behavior and I'm gonna change the direction that I'm going in. That's spiritual battle. That's standing firm. That's resisting. That's getting the victory. That's breaking off partnership with the enemy and clinging to Christ, the truth. We'll just read this, Ephesians 4. Read along with me about truth, starting in verse 14, Ephesians 4, 14. Here's where we end. Speaking of the ministry of the church and the equipping of the saints, Ephesians 4, 14 says, as a result, we are no longer to be children, tossed here and there by waves and carried away by every wind of doctrine, by the trickery of men, by craftiness in deceitful scheming. But speaking the truth in love, we're to grow up in all aspects into him who is ahead, even Christ, from whom the whole body being fitted and held together by that which every joint supplies according to the proper working of each individual part causes a growth of the body for the building up of itself in love. The body of Christ. Verse 17, this I say therefore and affirm together with the Lord that you walk no longer just as the Gentiles also walk in the futility of their mind, being darkened in their understanding, excluded from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them, because of the hardness of their heart. And they, having become callous, having given themselves over to sensuality for the practice of every kind of impurity and greediness. But you did not learn Christ in this way. 
if indeed you have heard him and have been taught in him just as truth is in Jesus. That in reference to your former manner of life, you lay aside the old self, which is being corrupted in accordance with the lusts of deceit, and that you be renewed in the spirit of your mind and put on the new self which in likeness of God has been created in righteousness and holiness of the truth. Therefore, laying aside falsehood, speak truth, each one of you, with his neighbor, for we are members of one another. You see, that's a great passage where Paul is laying out what it looks like to live as new creations because of the work of Jesus Christ, as the beloved of God, chosen before the foundations of the world declared holy and righteous by our faith in Jesus Christ. What does it look like to live that way? In in integrity and honesty. And the enemy is always coming after that first thing. That's why the first bit of armor is the belt of truth. And it's not just defensive, it's offensive. That is made most clear at the end. Oh, we love the end. The end when Christ our Lord returns. What does it say about him? I'll read it. It's on the screen, Revelation 19. And I saw heaven opened, and behold, a white horse, Cavallo Blanco in Spanish. (laughs) And he who sat upon it, who's he sitting upon it? Jesus. And he who sat upon it is called faithful and true. And in righteousness he judges and wages war. His eyes are a flame of fire, and on his head are many diadems. And his name is called the Word of God. What carries us in the day of battle, in the evil day, is the truth of the Word of God, believing and obeying it. What carries the whole universe at the end of time? is the one that is called faithful and true, who comes back and judges with righteousness, who is the word of God made manifest on earth, setting wrong, setting right everything that has gone wrong. In the end, truth wins. In the end, Christ wins. Lord, help us now as people that have been called into truth, help us now to repent of both believing and saying untrue things. Thank you that repentance is a beautiful word. That when we repent, times of refreshing come from being in the presence of the Lord. Holy Spirit, help us to know where we're believing lies and convict us in the areas where we're telling lies. Cause us to stand firm and make a break with the schemes and the ways of the enemy and to walk in the light of Christ. Help us with these things. Lord, some of the lies we've believed, we've believed for so long. We've become dependent upon them. And they seem to be deep in the fiber of who we are. Holy Spirit, that you would come with the truth of Christ and the love of the Father and set us free. Set men and women free from strongholds in this place. Set us free. When the Son is set free, is free indeed. The truth of Christ will set us free. Help us, Holy Spirit.